I'm Andy Irwin, and this is The Storytellers. On today's episode of The Storytellers, my guest is someone I grew up watching on TV. I remember on Friday night, I would always look forward as a kid, like in middle school, uh, to TGIF. And it was a block that happened every Friday evening of the sitcoms. And there were two shows that I would always look forward to watching. I would watch it religiously. It was Family Matters and it was Full House. And so I remember I kind of felt like I grew up with DJ Tanner. We were the same age. And so today on the show, you know her as DJ Tanner from Full House, uh, from the revival on Netflix, Fuller House, from The View uh, as a power brand, whether it comes to clothing, whether it comes to books, social influence, uh, doing amazing work as a Christian speaker. Uh, she's just an all-around amazing person. Uh, good friend, would you welcome Candace Cameron Bure. Uh, Candace, welcome to the Storytellers. It's so good to have you on today. How are you? Thank you. I'm doing great. How's Val and the family? I have a beautiful family. I'm so blessed with my husband's doing great. All of my my kids are so good, and it's like a whole different stage of life to have adult children. And I'm so grateful. I have a great relationship with all of them. Yeah. How is that? Like your kids? You know, they're 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 all kind of in their twenties now, right? So yeah, it's like, they are. That's so wild. How's that transition been for you guys? It's been good. I think it it was lessened a little bit because. We had some that left and then some that came back for a little bit and then they left again and 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 now they're all they're all out but I'm I'm excited to see who they continue to become and how they evolve as people and their families and all that stuff. So I I'm just at a really fun stage in life. Yeah, it's been cool with, you know, Natasha in particular. Like every time I see her, I mean, it feels like a mini me of you. Like it's like <laughs> it's spooky and uh and to watch her kind of find her lane with like now that she's doing her singing and acting and yeah. seeing her, you know, kind of get her start on the voice, but then kind of spawn off into doing her own thing. How's it been kind of seeing her kind of, you know, kind of leave the nest and fly and kind of find her own little kind of thing to do? Yeah, I'm really proud of her. I know. it. Listen, it's hard to come be in whatever profession you're in and kind of follow in your parents' footsteps. But I think even harder in the entertainment industry because there's a spotlight on it. and she's really truly trying to pave her own path and and find her own way and do the work herself and she's been doing it you know i'm really proud of her and it's as you know it's a hard it's hard to be an actor in this industry and the grind is real so as a mom i'm just like oh man but that audition baby was so good they should have booked you you should have gotten it you know and and i'm like just keep going keep going yeah it's you know that thing of like as a producer, anytime I have a, a you know a young actress come into the, the you know especially anybody that's a kid comes into audition, you know the the producer in me is like oh my gosh you're so talented we'd love to work with you but the father in me is like sweetheart turn around and run out of this room and never look back <laughs> please <laughs> and it's like but I think you know the gift you know the ones that make it I feel like are the ones that have a strong parent that understands the journey yeah and they give them a really safe kind of landing spot. So like what That's advice exactly have you given it. to your kids as they've kind of explored some of those things? Yeah, well, for Natasha in particular, because she's the only one in entertainment, my boys want nothing to do with the entertainment <laughs> industry. 
smart kids. But you you do. I think parenting is so important and who you surround yourself with. I think that's why I came out somewhat okay through this industry, being in it since I was five years old. Because my parents had my best interest at heart, not their best interest. And that's what I see even working with young talent today, whether I'm acting with them or producing them. You know, you have an immediate understanding as to how this may go for them, depending on who their parents are and what what you see on set. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. And I want to kind of get into your story. But like, you know, just when you find young talent that really uh, you kind of discover it out of nowhere. It's, it's, it's really interesting to see people that kind of get a, an early start, you know, mm-hmm. uh, where that was found. Like when we did the movie, uh, American underdog, we, uh, we had cast a little girl to play the, the daughter of Kurt Warner in the film, little four-year-old girl. And her audition was fantastic, mm-hmm. but she came in the day of, and she just didn't have the, you know, the interest in being on set. She didn't want to be there. And, and, yeah. And I didn't want to drag her along. And we're in the middle of doing the first day of filming. And I looked over on set and there was this, her stand-in that was there for, you know, when in film you know, for the audience is like, you know, when they're lighting, you'll have somebody that stands in for the actor for them to be able to light. And there was a stand-in for her. And I watched this little girl that was four years old sitting there trying so hard to be brave. And with mm-hmm. all these people, you know, working around her and, you know, and I watched her with these big eyes and I went over, and I sat down with her. I was like, can you do me a job, a favor today? And I said, I brought her over a stuffed animal from props. And I said, this is my friend. He's really scared today. Can you keep him safe and make him feel safe while everybody's, mm-hmm. cause he's never done this before. And she's like, yeah. And she nodded her head. And then I watched her take that so seriously. And then I looked over yeah. at my brother and I said, that's our little girl. And so mm-hmm. I let, I let the actor go and I cast the stand-in as the girl in the film. And she, and so when we, the next day I came back in, I had bought her an FAO Schwartz teddy bear. And I said, I said, sweetheart, remember your job is to keep my friend safe. And she came in and she did a fantastic job. So it's just to find, you know, there's something so pure about a kid actor, but it's also something that you want to be protective of that innocence. Like, yeah, you gotta- well, that's a good, di- that's a good director right there. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Let's just point that out. Cause that's really good directing. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, I just was, you know, uh, uh, for you, I mean, you were, you, what, you were 12 when you first started on Full House or right, right, you had one project. Before I was that, 10 right? when I started on the show, but I had started acting at five. Kirk started like, wh- had he been in it for a while so by that point? He'd been in it one year longer because I actually auditioned for the agent when I was four. Wow. And I think my brother was nine, but the agent said, you're a little too young. Come back in one year. I had to wow. grow up a little <laughs> from four to five. <laughs> you, you came in as a mature five-year-old. You're like, yes, okay, this yes. girl's ready. So like for you as a five-year-old and then your brother, you know, as a 10-year-old, like what, what got your family in the business and like what, like how were those early years as you kind of found your lanes? The crazy thing is when we look back on this, we are not from a show business family. My parents had no idea about the entertainment industry, but the reality was that's how it all started. And my mom was kind of like, uh, okay, sure. Like just, okay. And so it, we didn't give it much thought, but when we went to that audition, I mean, my mom obviously asked us and my dad, like, Hey, do you want to try being in commercials? Mm-hmm. All four of us kids. Cause I have two older sisters and my brother, we all said, yes, sure. But it felt like we could take soccer lessons. We could take 
singing lessons. We could go play football. I mean, whatever we wanted to do, acting was just another option because we lived in LA and it's something that you can do. And so we just kind of fell into it. But I guess my brother and I had enough natural talent for some commercials or we were cute enough at the time, whatever that was, that we started working immediately. And I think it really shocked my parents. And my parents were like, what are we doing? What is this all about? And I don't want my kids to be on drugs. We don't want that happening. So my parents were very resistant to even having us audition, although we did it, but they were super protective the whole time. Growing Pains takes off for Kurt. And then you step in as DJ Tanner on Full House. And Mm -hmm. I remember, you know, at the height of it, like I was, you know, I was a kid growing up with you, like, cause we're, we're about the same age. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I remember, um, you know, watching growing pains and then watching full house. Our TJIF was like, it was, it was my, our whole week was formatted around that. Those were the shows that we waited for. What was it like at the height of that with both, both, I mean, it's not just one or the other of you or like Kirk's gone before mm-hmm. and you're coming right after it's like, it's at the same time, basically. What was that like in, in in the Cameron household? It wasn't like, hey, Kirk, how was your day on set today? And be like, hey, little sis, what lines did you, did you have a funny scene? Did you get good laughs today? Like, we never talked about that. It was never brought up. We got home and it was like, okay, who has homework to do? Who's making tacos tonight? Who's in charge of cleaning up? And uh, did you do your chores and take out the trash? And I mean, that's legit how it was in our family. So it, I don't know. I could, I could, I understood even the magnitude of my, of my brother at the time because his show was really popular and he was like a teen idol. So I only really understood the magnitude because of my friends and my older sister's friends who were like, Hey, we want to be friends with you because of your brother. Hmm. Or we want to like hang out with you because you're your brother. I never knew how much money I made until I think I was 17 years old (laughs) because my parents didn't talk about, they just it was all in a bank. They sheltered us in that way to Good just have the most normal childhood until we became adult enough to be responsible with any of that decision making. So it just hmm. didn't really feel it's still we I still don't feel like we're a show business family, <laughs> even though huh. my mom eventually became an agent and my brother and I are still in the business. Like for you, like where did the challenge or the sh- come in of growing up in front of the camera, did that happen for you? Was there challenges while you were doing that or the transition after Full House ended and trying to figure out what it's like to find your voice as an adult? Sure. There were some along, along, all along the way. I think the most challenging thing for me being on television when I was a kid was just going through puberty in front of millions of people. Wow. I mean, it's really just growing up in front of the camera. And I'm really grateful that at the time we didn't have the social media that we have now. So yep. it wasn't like paparazzi type yeah. of stuff that we have now. I'm very grateful for that. But it was more being, you know, 13 years old, 16 years old, going through all kinds of changes and having everybody watching you. I will, I will I will be the first to admit I was so lucky transitioning off of Full House when I was 18 because I had just met my now husband, Val. Like at the time, I met Val at 18. So wow. the show ended. 
I had met him. We got engaged when I was 19, married at 20. So the transition for me was was almost, I don't want to say seamless, but it was a it was a wonderful transition because I was not career focused. I was Man. love and romance focused. I was just <laughs> ready to be in love and like spend all this time with my husband. And so it made the transition into being an adult in the industry mm. much uh, easier or just, I'd say, less challenging and trying to have to convince people to not see me as a kid anymore. Wow. Because that's, I took a basically took a 10 year break. That's incredible. And that's a gift to kind of come back and really know who you are and what you want and like come yep. back to it to choose it, to do it on, on purpose. Exactly. Yeah, well, I was I was at an event with you and Val. Um uh, back in I don't know somewhere around February, we had a uh, we had like a, a praise and worship kind of prayer night at um, Mark Burnett and Roma Downey's house, and uh, we were there and um, just a, a small group of us that are believers in the industry. And but that night, uh, impromptu, we had Jesus Revolution about to come out, and Mark kind of stopped in the middle of the prayer meeting and just said, "We want to pray for Jesus Revolution as it comes out." And Jonathan Rumi from the cast was with us. And we kind of prayed and you and you, you prayed over, you know, with a couple of other individuals over the movie. And I just remember that prayer having a lot of power to it. Like there was just an authenticity that wasn't like a, a color by numbers, Hollywood faith. Um, and, uh, it really impressed me. It made an impact on me. It really, thank you for you with your faith. Cause your, your family, you know, they were kind of a moral family growing up. Faith wasn't really something you guys discovered until a little bit later. Correct. Where did faith kind of enter into the picture for you and where did it kind of become real? Yeah, so I had a foundation of faith starting when I was 12 years old. That's when faith was brought into our family and we started going to church. So I would say that there was an understanding. I called myself a Christian, still a kid. It was more about being a good person in most of my life. My faith became really important to me because I started to learn who God is and read the Bible when I had my my three kids. So around when I was 25 years old, I thought, I, I, I call myself a Christian, but I don't really know what I believe because I don't, I've never even read the Bible before. That's when God grabbed a hold of my heart. My brother had a really big impact on my faith journey in my mid mm. my mid twenties because he had he had given me a book that really sparked a lot of those questions for me. I would say that God was already sparking yeah. those questions for me. God had been working in my heart for quite a while, and then one day my brother dropped a book in my lap, and then I was like, it What's all the, of the pieces came together. It changed titles a few times, but it was a book by Ray Comfort, and I think it's huh. called The Way of the Master. Yeah, another. And one it up. just presented the gospel message in a way that finally connected the dots for me and why I needed Jesus huh. and what Jesus did for me. It's just truly the gospel message, but I had always considered to myself to be a good moral person, so I didn't yeah. really understand why Jesus died for me. Because it was more about good works. And I, oh, I do enough good works yeah. to outweigh the bad things that I do. Yep. So I'm sure that God will be just and forgiving of me. Yeah. 
that was my mindset. So Ray Comfort presented that gospel in a way that I was like, oh, oh, God, God has a different standard of goodness. Yeah. And when I look at his standard of goodness, I can then see that I'm in need for that justification to mm. for him to restore me. Okay, I get it. And so the humility <laughs> became a, you know, a huge played a huge part of my life and recognizing my need for God. And that that just set the course in mm. mid 20s and I just was like I get it. That's awesome. And I, I loved, you know, maybe it was because you came back to it later. And you had that gap to kind of figure things out for yourself. When you came back in, you came back. You know, Kirk obviously, and I, and I, I'm good friends with Kirk as well. Um, you know, definitely is kind of that that Boy Scout. Really says what he thinks, and just you know, it's, <laughs> we, it's, we could have a whole podcast. Yeah, and talk podcast. about my brother. Talk about Kirk. Well, that, that that's yeah. gonna be the follow up. That's gonna be follow up. And 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 I adore him for it. Uh, but. Uh, uh, for you, I feel like you came back in and you became equally vocal about what you believed, but, um, you know, th- just the way you engaged, it was really nuanced and interesting. And so when you kind of came back to things and your platform began to grow with things like, mm-hmm. like the view and things like that, um, you kind of began to find your voice. What was that like becoming, uh, you know, kind of a figurehead that was known as, a Christian in entertainment and you were outspoken mm-hmm. about it. How did you find your voice in those years of how do I engage people? I figured out that if I was authentically myself, hmm. then people would probably relate to me. That's if cool. I all of a sudden tried to say, oh, I'm a Christian. Now that I've read the Bible, I understand this. And now I'm a theology major and yeah. I'm going to come in and start speaking in that way, I'm like, well, that's not really who I am. And I think the humility of it in the authenticity is that I thought, you know what? These might be really basic questions and someone way ahead in their Christian journey, even though I've called myself a Christian for a really long time, they might know all the answers to these, but Mm -hmm. I'm just going to be me and not be afraid to sound ignorant or sound um, just sound like I'm at a, a first grade level with some of my questions because I genuinely don't know the answers to these. And I bet if I don't know them, there's probably other people that don't know either. And I'm on a journey wow. of growth. Come along with me for a journey of growth. Hmm. I'm not the expert, but let's go find some of the people who know more information that's cool. about this. And that's how that's how I've done it. And I've always, I think in conversations, especially when I was co-hosting The View, again, tried to have an open mind and understanding. Although my my worldview is a biblical worldview, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fall away from that. I still need to understand where yeah. someone's coming from to have compassion and empathy because their story's not my story. My story's not their story. And at the end of the day, we're all people and we're human beings. And I I believe the best in people that we genuinely want to love people and respect people. And, and so how, as a Christian, can I do that the best way? I can listen. I can listen. And even mm. if I don't agree, I can still listen and try to yeah. understand it so that maybe there is a difference in what I can do in my faith to help 
that person or whatever the need is. I'm not trying to be the savior as in helping people, but how can I better myself to help understand what other people are going through that I haven't experienced? Yeah, I've never heard it articulated quite like that, but that's what I do feel from how you represent yourself. It's a come along with me and let's figure this out together, that that come along kind of idea. It was funny because when we did Jesus Revolution that came out, uh, we showed Which it the I studio. loved, by the way. Oh, well, just, thank you. It was so good. It's so oh, great. You. So great. Yeah. There was there was a lot of people that, um, I mean, Brent McCorkle that directed that with my brother just did an amazing job. You know, mm-hmm. it was about the last great revival in the history of our country. It's an invitation to broken people trying to understand grace and redemption. And uh, yeah. it's, ab- it's about bring me your broken. I mean, it's that whole speech that Kelsey Grammer gives to the hippies about the Statue mm-hmm. of Liberty speech of bring me your broken, you're downtrodden, you're tired, you're weary. Yeah. You know, it's it's that's the gospel. It's the hope for broken people. And I put myself at the front of that list. You know, that idea of being able to listen as a Christian and empathize and understand seems to be kind of a well, the idea of listening at all in our society right now, regardless of what your background is, is kind of become a lost art form. Like Yep. The art of listening. Um, and disagreeing. Seems, the art of disagreeing, too. Just being able to say, I well, yeah, that's don't where agree I was going. with you. That has so been lost. It's now become a culture that you have to agree with me 100% in order to be a good person, in order for me to like you or associate with you, in order for you to be on the right side of history, you have to agree with me 100%. Otherwise, you're out, you're bad, you're canceled. (laughs) That's it. And it's a shame. It's horrible. I don't understand how we got to this place in the world. And I think there's a a lot of people that recognize it, regardless of your religious background, your ethnicity, whatever. I think there's a lot of people that recognize it and are trying to bring it back and want to. But yeah. the 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 culture that is saying you have to agree 100%, although small, are loud. Yeah. Are so loud. Yep. Like, we have to be louder. Yeah, and it become and it becomes a it becomes kind of a, a a win at all costs kind of mentality. It's not about exchanging thought and having healthy, uh, you know, uh, conversation or even even mm-hmm. debate or understanding ideas or learning from people. It, it becomes about like who is the biggest bully that can win, and exactly. uh, it's about and and it also results in sometimes people being viewed as just one thing or the other. It's like you're either a good guy or a bad guy. It's there's yep. no there's no room yep. for human nuance that we all have uh strengths and we all have blind spots, we all have flaws, we all have mistakes, yep. we all have a yep. past. Um yep. you know, uh and so it just becomes about the people that either have the loudest voice or or the best about hiding their stuff in the closet that become the ones that kind of have a moment of success until somebody more powerful comes along. For you like yeah. I think the thing that has been fascinating with me about you is you're legit, legit one of the kindest people in entertainment that I know. Like you're like your class act, Candace. Thank uh, you. And it, and anybody that knows you knows that there's not a mean or judging bone in your body. 
But with that, like there's been moments, whether it's either on the view or discover other things that happen, you know, that you step in it with social media, uh, where all of a sudden somebody takes something the wrong way or whatever of criticism, like Mm -hmm. that kind of always surprises me. I'm like, there's other people I would say like, yeah, legit, like you can criticize them, but like Candace, like, like she's like innocent as a dove. Uh, have you, does the criticism sometimes surprise you and on a situation like when you're on the view and there's a big disagreement and you're sometimes the minority in that situation, how did you navigate the intense criticism or things of people judging, maybe not really fully understanding or knowing who you are? I think that's always the most challenging thing for me to date is being misunderstood. But isn't that truly forever? No one wants to feel misunderstood. Right. No one wants to. And it's the hardest part for me is when I I know who I am. My true friends know who I am. God knows who I am. Right. But when the public can take one thing that I say and write the narrative of how they hear it, how they want it to be, and then I feel misunderstood because it's not who I am or how I meant it, it's it hurts. It hurts me more than I think people realize. And I have a toughness about me yeah. only by the grace of God, only but because I am I am so soft and tenderhearted. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I really truly am. And you know what was interesting? I recently got a message through social media and the woman wrote me and said, I want to tell you I've never liked you very much. You've always bothered me. Um, I've never liked your attitude and you seem like you're better than everyone else. Wow. But I couldn't look away and I've kept following you for years. Hmm. And only recently did I realize that there was a reflection of God in you that I was trying so hard to run away from. I have chills right now. And I now have that relationship with God. I've surrendered. Man. And I want to follow God. And, and thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for staying true to who you are. And... P.S. I kind of like you now. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, frame that one for the wall. I remember when we were doing, uh, there was when we were doing one of our movies, we're doing, uh, I can only imagine I'm in the studio with, uh, By the, the way, balled my eyes out with that movie. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate so it. Good. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get you off track, but but you you are doing what has been amazing in the faith space because the quality and the storytelling is so incredible and mm, on par you. with the rest of what the what Hollywood is doing. And that's always been my gripe in the faith entertainment space. And I think we've talked about this before. I could go on and on, but you are you're doing it 
so well and so right. And I'm so appreciative of it. So keep throwing all your projects. I'll just well, keep I, complimenting <laughs> you. I'll squirm and be as uncomfortable <laughs> as, as as I can in the compliment. But thank you. I I, I think, you know, we just I'll take a kind of a hard right turn on that. Like um, you and I have talked about this on on sets before um, is, you know, the desire to see faith legitimized as a thematic element to films and mm-hmm. earn the right to be heard. And, you know, and we've been a part of that journey together as a small group of us that have had a heart to see ourselves and what we believe represented in a way that's authentic, that is in that flawed human experience that doesn't have all the answers, but maybe asks the right questions, starts the right conversations. And, you know, and I think in the early days, there were that, there was that idea that there was a lot of cheese uh, associated with faith in film. And we were part of that too. Like, I don't, I, like I put myself in that category, you know, and I think, Me but too. I th- yeah, yeah. We've all, we've all done, you know, things that we've just made attempts in the right direction mm-hmm. and so, some work and some don't, some don't fulfill the hopes of what we want. But I think we were all learning the nuance of how to start the conversation. And, and I think the thing that's been exciting for me, at least, uh, in the past, maybe four or five years is, the conversation has changed. Um, mm-hmm. And I think there is, are storytellers that have come up with us and also have kind of come after us that are doing stories that deserve to be seen and engaged with. Mm-hmm. Um, it's exciting uh, to, to, to see the conversation change and it'd be like, well, faith doesn't have to be a, a, a dirty word or stigmatized mm-hmm. or we don't have to be the butt of the joke. For yes. you, you you've been part of problem solving that as well because like we've been sharing ideas for years. I think that you're doing so many things really smart. We have a film that we did together called Unsung Here that I want to get to in a second. But uh, but you know, for you, like, what have you seen happen in the conversation about faith and entertainment kind of melding and earning our right to be heard at this moment in time? What have you seen happening in recent years from your perspective? Uh, thanks to people like you, honestly, as I just shared, to have it to have it be fully realized and funded in a way that these stories yeah. can be can be shared and brought that connect people, that open up the question, that just make them think about faith, that see broken people have a moment of hope or resolve, whatever, whatever that is to have it done and told well with money behind it has been the game changer. And I think because of that, it's opened up the doors now for the faith category to be a legitimate category and not feel like a joke in terms of how a lot of the previous (laughs) <laughs> low budget movies right. or series have been told in the past that again we we have been a part of. Yeah, we've all been a and part like of it. we can do better. Why why are we always the secondary? I <laughs> I always look at some of those t-shirts and I don't know back in the day they still make them today, but back in the day in the 80s, they were so popular to have whatever popular logo it was, wh- whether it was Nike just do it yeah, or yeah, right, right the McDonald's or Burger King, yep. we make it your way, whatever, and then have the Christian version of it. 
So it looked like the same logo, yep. but it's going to say something about Jesus. I, I always thought to myself, why are we just copycats at a lesser version? That's how those t-shirts made me feel. And then that's how I felt like the programming for Faith Entertainment was. We are the lesser version of the good things that are out there. And if we are, if, if we are people that are carried by God Almighty himself, we are people that are kingdom-minded. Why do we not do the best of the best of the best? And I think it's, we've needed belief, we've needed funds, and we've needed the people to come out for it. And I think that's also what's happened in recent years because politics have become even more and more divided that people are now willing to stand on the principles that they believe in. So audiences have come out to support. Well, obviously, when we get that kind of support, then we can have the money behind it and continue to do those kinds of, of projects. So that's what I've seen happen. And I'm yep. so happy that it has. And it's, as a storyteller myself, much of my life as an actress, mm -hmm. I've been someone who's been a part of the storytelling, a part of telling someone else's story, but but also a part of telling someone else's story, even from the director or the producers or the writer, like not really having a say in what this story is, just trying to act out and play that to the best of my ability. But now at this point in my career, the last 10 years of sure. my career, being realizing that my voice can be heard and I'm able to use my voice to tell these stories from a different point of view, whether it's as a producer, as a director, I'm not a writer, um, or possibly as an actress, but that I get to choose what stories I want to tell and the way in which I want those stories to be tell, told. And that is such an exciting place for me and to know that there are such amazing quality people that have the same principles that want to go into telling stories of faith with excellence, that we're, we're all working towards the same goal together is a really exciting time to be in. You know, for those of us that desired that moment when we first kind of started telling these stories to feel people kind of you know, uh, finding their, their lane and finding their voice and being able to see the, the quality rise and then to see the audience begin to realize the power of their ticket. And you look mm -hmm. at like, like what's happened this year with like the sound of freedom beating yes. mission impossible domestically, like what in the world, when did we ever think that that something like that could happen? And so it's been an exciting time. I think and then for for you, I think finding your voice as a producer and as a as a mm -hmm. storyteller, as a director, you know, I know you you're one of the busiest people in the industry right now. We'll get to that in a minute, <laughs> but you know, uh, I I would love to kind of take your master class on multitasking because I, I I can't do it. <laughs> but uh, but you and I we 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 produced we executive produced a um, a film this year, uh, Unsung Hero, and I think. Uh, you know, the exciting thing for me is to see other storytellers kind of come along maybe uh, a few steps behind us on the path that we've carved. And, yeah. and we're following people that have carved the path in front of us that all somehow lead to Mel Gibson. But, you know, there's these, you know, <laughs> these paths that, as you know, that we've kind of followed. Um, 
uh, that you know kind of end up at the Passion of the Christ. But uh, but for for um, you know our mutual friend Joel Smallbone with the the band for King and Country mm-hmm. came. You know, he, Joel came to me with a, a a story that's his family story. He's like, I want to tell this, and then I started reading what he was writing, and I was like, you know what? You know, I, I would love to be a part of that, just enhancing your voice. And then simultaneously, he had been talking to to you about coming on to produce and act in it. Mm-hmm. Um, where did your relationship with the King Country guys start? And then what brought you on the project? And what, what do you feel like was special about this particular film? So I met, I met Joel and Luke back in 2016, I believe, 15 or 16. I was co-hosting The View. Huh. And I had my 40th birthday on the show. Huh. And for my birthday, they were like, we're going to make a show for you. Tell us who some of your favorite people are. We'll try to see if we can have them as surprise guests. Tell us who some of your favorite mu- musical artists are. But they wouldn't tell me who they were booking or what. So first on my list was for King and Country. Wow. I didn't know that part. That's great. Yeah. I just love them. Contemporary Christian music is what I listen to. Huh. So they were like, you could have, how about Janet Jackson? How about this? How about this? I was like, uh, for King and Country, um, Third Day, Mac Powell, Matthew West. Like I'm naming <laughs> that that's who I want, but they were, they were number one on my list and little did I know they had booked them. However, there was a surprise on that show because during the middle of the song, they had my daughter Natasha come out and sing a little bit of the bridge to that song. Wow. And this is all live television, right? But here was here was what I learned after. And it was amazing. They were all incredible. But here's what I learned after. They booked for King and Country. They all got there the day before. They brought my family in. They didn't tell me because my family was still in LA. I was commuting LA, New York. And filming the show in New York. And once they got there the night before, they said, oh, by the way, Candace's daughter, Natasha, is going to sing this with you. So can you imagine? You got some Grammy award winning (laughs) artists here. It's their debut on The View, just nationally syndicated Emmy award winning television show. And they're like, and by the way, this actress's 16-year-old daughter is going to sing your Grammy award-winning song with you. Like, just what's hold. And they were kind of, I think, freaking out because they didn't know if Natasha could sing. They didn't know this wow. was a stipulation. This was prior to the voice or any of that for her. Yeah, prior. Wow. Uh, yeah, I think so. Or right around the same time. So the funny part of the story is that they got there in the morning before I was even on set and they weren't even going to give them a rehearsal with Natasha. Hmm. And my husband, who is a very strong presence, uh-huh. heard Joel and Luke talking and kind of freaking out about it. And my husband was like, what's going on? What do you, what, what do you want? Do you, you need rehearsal and Natasha needs rehearsal? You guys have to practice this? So my husband walked out to the producer and said, give them the rehearsal time right now or we're all leaving. We're leaving. I like your husband. He's a great guy. (laughs) (laughs) That's so so cool. So they, anyway, they said yes. And 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 I got to be honest, Val, Val is kind of got that strong, quiet, tough thing. Oh yeah. That like 
I, I, if I'm, if I'm honest, he, he scares me a little bit where I'm just like, <laughs> I'm intimidated. I'm intimidated. Like I would be like, yes, sir. Whatever you need, sir. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's Val. That's him. So they gave him the rehearsal time, but Joel and Luke were so impressed by Val and they're like, we love that guy. What just happened? That was great. They got to rehearse anyway. So it just solidified this friendship. So after that show, that's when I really started to get to know them. I was like, oh my gosh, thank you for coming on and performing and blah, blah, blah. But we've kept in touch since then. And I was in one of their music videos, Joy, which was so fun. Yeah. And every time they come to LA, Joel texts every time, invites our family out. He's brought Natasha on a few other times in concert to sing with them there. The Smallbone family is this incredible family. I can't wait for everyone to see Unsung Hero, but they're not only their whole story, but they're incredible human beings. And I absolutely love and adore and support them. And when they brought the project to me, I I, I do get pitched a lot of projects, just like you do. And so you really have to figure out, okay, which ones do I believe in? What are, what is meaningful for me? What do I want to put my time and effort into? And when I read the script, I want to admit, like, I was hoping for the best, but I didn't want to be disappointed if I didn't like it because I'm also a very honest person and I love them. So I was... You know, it's always a hard conversation when yeah. you're like, oh, great try. Yeah. I think it needs a little more work. Come back when X, Y, Z. But I read that script and I think I probably had the same reaction as you. I probably read yeah. it, though, after it was had already been through a couple of processes. And I was moved. I yeah. was absolutely moved. And that's what storytelling is all about. If I yep. can read words on a paper and the hair on my arms has stood up, my heart is beating, I'm crying, I feel an emotional attachment to it, that's what I want to tell. And yep. so immediately I was like, I am not BSing you guys. I love this. I would be happy. I would be thrilled to be a part of this in any which way that you need help with, whether it's through producing, even be in it, whatever. Uh, I'm I'm here for you guys. And it's a beautiful, beautiful story. It, it really is. Like it was when, because I, I, they were talking to me about it around the same time that they're talking to you about it. And I read the script, gave them some notes. They went and worked on that for about three weeks and came back. And I read that script and I was like, had the same reaction as you, hair standing up on my arms. And basically for people that don't know their story, it's it's a story that's really honoring his family, but ultimately honoring his mom. And it kind of comes down yeah. to this thematic uh, thing that they discovered where his dad, who was a music promoter, always thought his family was in the way until he figured out that his family was the way. And mm. it was this 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 idea of this, this immigrant from Australia chasing the American dream in music as a music promoter, lost everything, was having to to clean houses and do yards to just keep the family afloat. The whole family was a part of that journey and and trying to survive. And then along the way, discovered the magic voice of his daughter and his wife fighting for her family. And it's mm-hmm. really the unsung hero of the family is the mom. And Joel, uh, Joel plays his father and directs the film with Richie Ramsey and uh, and I, when I look, when I looked at what the tall order he was ordering from himself, I was like, yeah, you're a talented musician. You're a great orator. You can deliver a monologue with a fake British accent better than anybody I know. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, but 
I was like, man, you're you're wanting to it's the triple axle, bro. I don't I don't know. And I was like, I give you a 20 percent chance of pulling this off. But if you're going to go down in flames, I'll go with you. And mm. uh, and then I remember I called you and we you and I compared notes a little bit. And I just said, hey, Candace, if you're on board, I'm on board, too. Let's executive produce this together and set Joel up to win with the team that they've assembled. And when I got to the final day of filming, I think we all felt it where it's like, Oh, mm -hmm. he just, he just stuck the landing. They just stuck the landing. Yep. And then I, I saw the first cut of the film and I know you did too. And I knew there's that feeling of just it, the, the proof is in when you see that first cut, is it there? Is it, is the, are the ingredients right? And I watched it. I got to the end and I was bawling my eyes out. I was like, yeah, this is a special film. And then Lionsgate got the vision for it. So it's yep. just been an honor to be a part of that journey with you. It's been it's been an exciting. Oh, I feel the same the same way. I am thrilled for them and everyone that was involved in it, truly. And I feel like, again, little bit of uh, magic dust, God dust, whatever you want. But to have that many kids, yep. also, there's seven of them. They had to cast yep. seven children that are supposed to be Australian, and some were, some weren't. But then to have them feel like a cohesive, real family in the circle. And it was like, it was magical, the casting of the family. And Daisy, who... Daisy, yeah. Daisy is just... I couldn't take my eyes off of her throughout the whole movie. Just yep. breathtaking. Her performance is phenomenal. As is Joel's, too. And yeah. I can... We, we can keep singing Joel's praises, yeah. but it's just like... It, it it truly is beautiful. I feel so so blessed to have been a part of that film. Yeah, yeah, and 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 Daisy, uh, you know, who plays Daisy Betts, who plays the mom. Uh, the thing, her story was fantastic because mm -hmm. she'd been out of acting for five years. Uh, she's Australian. Uh, her husband's a professional athlete as well. He's a boxer uh, and an Olympic boxer, and um, but she'd been out of acting for five five years to be a mom and. Uh, but they saw a, a little bit of her reel and just something about her drew Joel in. And I was like, do we know anybody that knows her? And Mike Vogel's an actor that's one of my best friends. And Mike had acted in a sci-fi movie with her, uh, like on the sci-fi channel, uh, uh, called children's End or something like that. I asked Mike about her. He's like, let me connect you guys behind the scenes connected us. And then Joel talks to her, calls her out of retirement and she comes in and steals the show. She so does. it's, you know, it's it's and she it's really a, it. so you know we're you know for us to be able to kind of tell that story was special. I think the thing I noticed about you though is on that set you committed <laughs> to this, and it's like you know uh, uh, back to the multitasking thing because you, you you say you can only say yes to a certain amount of things because you only have so much of you to go around. And I would watch you on set, you know, playing your part, helping EP the movie, kind of uh, legitimize the cast. And then you're on set editing two films, you know, writing this, you know, working with the screenwriters for like a third, doing social media posts, uh, approving stuff for your clothing brand. I mean, and like three or four other things that I don't know, probably philanthropy work or I don't know. Uh, it's and true. I would just sit there and be like, what in the world? It just seems like at this moment in time, you've really kind of rediscovered the power of your voice and it's grown mm -hmm. exponentially over the past five to 10 years. Like at this point for where you're at as a storyteller, like what is it that you want the things you're involved in to say? What's the mm -hmm. overall cohesive 
spoke of that wheel that mm-hmm. kind of keeps you doing what you're doing? What's the power of the story in your in your yeah. in what you're doing right now? So for me, my bottom line, my purpose in all that I do creatively and personally is to help people take one step closer to Jesus. That's it. That's that's my bottom line. And so when I'm looking at projects, when I'm editing movies, when I'm working on a piece of clothing or even a, a Bible, a, a, a new type of study Bible, yep. that's, that's the motivation behind everything. And whether that is whether that is something that I'm upfront and vocal about, like, hey, I'm I'm working on a movie of faith, so I'm telling this story of faith. Or I'm working on a piece of clothing that obviously doesn't have yep. to do anything about faith. Still, the motivation behind that is that someone might be wearing that piece of clothing, feel great in it, maybe hopefully get complimented or just feel com- confident in it, and when it's like, oh, who is that by? Oh, Candace. Oh, isn't Candace? Doesn't yeah. she's a Christian, right? I, I hope that. when 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 I walk into a room, people go, oh, the Christians here. That's cool. That's cool. That's what I want. I just continue to find my voice over the years and what I do, and know that it it has to be truthful. It has to be authentic. I have to believe in it. It has to be meaningful. And it's got to evoke emotion and connection for people. You know, it's the idea of earning the right to be heard. And uh, and I think whether you're doing something overtly as a Christian or subversively as a, mm-hmm. as a Christian, you know, kind of Trojan horse, uh, you know, for us, you know, when I finally kind of understood kind of the way Jesus did his parables, that's what really unlocked it for me as a filmmaker, you know, because Jesus... What he did is he told his parables that engaged the heart in a way that didn't answer all the questions. They mm-hmm. just poked at the right kind of raw nerves and and sparked thought and kind of created a a, a moment of of emotional impact that it j- jammed a wedge between people's heart and their head and it made them feel something. Even on the road to Emmaus, people said, you know, when he walked with us and they didn't know who he was, didn't our hearts burn within us? It was like it's mm-hmm. that idea that it made them feel something that they did not understand. And then the people that were genuinely curious would come back to him. A lot of times it was his apostles, the disciples, and you know, other times it was other people, but they would come back to him, whether it's Nicodemus or whoever, and they'd mm-hmm. be like, that story that you told, what did that mean? And then allowed them to begin to self-motivate the right questions. So our job as filmmakers is not to answer all the questions. Our job is to ask the right questions that at least plant a seed of the gospel and we step away and let it do yeah. its thing. And if it emotionally moves somebody on a journey that they identify with the character, then they come back and say, tell me the rest. And I, I see that in you and what you do. So for you, like you've worked with a lot of storytellers. You are a storyteller now. Um, what is it, what qualities make a storyteller that, that, um, that you feel like is doing it effectively? What, what are those ingredients that you feel like make a good storyteller? Well, you have to find a story that's worthy of being told. It doesn't mean it has to be uh, like a huge story, but it, it's all the things that you said. You've already answered the question (laughs) and you answered (laughs) in the best way possible. It's like, 
what what is um what is asking the right questions what is poking at someone's heart and you know for today in a very practical place money's a huge part yeah. of that and that's yep. where i've seen the discrepancy of really well told stories and some that it, it may have been a story worthy of being told but yeah. wasn't told in a great light because there wasn't money behind it yep. whether it and so visually it's not attractive to watch yep yep well said and that's that's really what i i continue to fight for it's not a, it's being diligent about where that money gets spent and being being protective and a you know a a good steward of that money yeah but right. the fact is you need money for quality yep content right and so i'm <laughs> you know trying to convince people we have to keep convincing people of that but, I, I love but, it. but it's the re- it's it really is the reality of it I mean, if I could pick a lobbyist for our genre, it would absolutely be you 100%. So, like, continue to uh, buy tickets, give money. Uh, uh, As we sum things up, as we sum things up, uh, top five desert island films for you and uh, explain your, your favorite. And it oh can be, my goodness! Uh, These are probably not what anyone's gonna think, dude. That's why I asked. It's gonna be like, like for me, it would start with Joe versus the volcano, and people are like, "What okay. the world?" Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so oh goodness. Okay, the first one out of the gate for me is The Wizard of Oz. It's Love my it. favorite movie since childhood. I've seen it a a million times. I love that. Uh, with Wizard of Oz, I, I mix all of my films that's on the Sony lot. And I always mix on stage six, which was the the soundstage where they filmed Wizard of Oz. And right out front, they've got one of the original yellow bricks. And yeah, it's, so we shot we shot the Full House pilot on stage six. Are you serious? So I somehow feel even extra connected. Like oh I my gosh, there. <laughs> yeah, that, I know okay. it's incredible, that's, that's, and it's such creepy. a massive soundstage too. The next one is Greece. <laughs> Again, childhood movie. I love a musical. I love song and dance. I, John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. It just doesn't get better. I could yes. watch it over a hundred times. I never I get sick of that movie. I love it. And then, and then I think about like, I got to laugh if I'm on a desert yep. island. And I think my go-to laughing movie is Anchorman. Oh my gosh. That. <laughs> The, it's the, best the newscaster movie. fight sequence, and like I just it's, killed the guy with a trident. So yes. Good. What else? I feel like you know Will Ferrell is one of one of my favorites. I could just watch him and everything he does. Yep. And because I'm a little bit known for Christmas and love the Christmas season, I, I've watched Elf a million times and could watch it over and over. It is so delightful. It makes me so happy like a child i can't I ever it. get tired of that movie and then um okay fifth fifth and final i need some romance i need a good chick flick so i was thinking of like probably the notebook there you go that, that's that, that i i like it you you will have a fun well-rounded <laughs> life on that island i kept thinking i, I was like I don't think I'm winning any. Uh, I'm I'm naming any Oscar winning movies See, here. That's why. Why you, that, you're but, one of the people. You're one of the people. I'm one I of the people. <laughs> Thank you. Well, 
Candace, we could do this all day long. I, I know, appreciate Andy, you, my thank friend. Thank you so much for having me on. This was a really fun discussion. I appreciate you. That means a lot. I, I and I think that for us, like what you said earlier, I would absolutely uh, testify to that your secret power is authenticity, and uh, you are authentically who you are. Uh, you know, kind, inviting people along on the journey, doing things you believe in. And so as one storyteller to another, we respect you. And um, it's an honor to have you on the show, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. I want to thank my guest, Candace Cameron Bure. Just such an awesome journey to kind of hear her story. I think the thing that speaks to me the most is not chasing people liking you, but to be authentically who you are and allow people to catch up with you. Let your integrity and the way that you do life speak for itself. And, you know, people's popularity and what people think of you is it's a fickle crowd and things will come and go. But if you stay consistent in trying to to love people, respect them and to tell your stories the way that feel authentic to your voice, uh, that's really what it's about. And people will catch up to you. And so uh, that's just so encouraging to see the strength of her being able to just be who she is. Uh, I think that has a lot to to say to me as a storyteller. And I, I think the exciting thing to see is so many people that are people of faith are authentically finding their lanes and telling their stories their way uh, and uh, just not apologize for either either thing, their, their beliefs and who they are as Christians, but also the stories that they're attracted to to tell and their artistry uh, as storytellers. I think it's just so exciting to see those things kind of blend in a, a really unique way for the first time in history. So uh, really grateful to Candace. And I can tell you as her friend, she is as authentic in person as she is uh, on television. She is the real deal. Uh, absolutely delighted to have her on the show. So thank you so much for listening. God bless. The Storytellers is a Kingdom Story Company production. It is produced by Nick Carey with production assistance from Ben and Justin Bailey. Our executive producers are Kevin Downs and Brandon Gregory. Social media for the show is run by the team at Troops and Allies, and our music is Twisted Rooster by Tommy Prophet. Special thanks to Jaron Weatherly, Evan Johnston, and our entire team at Kingdom Story Company. We have so many exciting guests coming up this season. To ensure you don't miss any of them, subscribe to The Storytellers for free on YouTube at Kingdom Story Company or wherever you listen to podcasts. For exclusive first looks at our upcoming films, behind-the-scenes content, and invitations to advanced screenings, Join the conversation as a Kingdom Insider at KingdomStoryCompany.com and follow us at Kingdom Story Company across all platforms. As always, thanks for joining Andrew Irwin and his friends on The Storytellers. <laughs> <laughs>